2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: It's never too late to get yourself in order, to get yourself uh, straightened back out. Like people that didn't get their success until 50s, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. So, you know, don't think that you got to be 25 or 30 and have a family and have a, a, a house that you own to be considered a success. like. Every, every person has their own journey, their own life, and their own, you know, success stories and their own way of handling things.
4: Welcome back, Comeback Stories family. I got a special episode today. I got a hometown connection. My man, OD, if you haven't seen him on Instagram, he is hands down the best defensive backs coach in the world today. CEO and founder of Sweet Feet Sports Performance. He was an all-county corner himself at Carson Newman University. I know him as you know the shutdown corner from my high school, North Cobb High School, a few years before I came into high school. So uh, I'd like to welcome my man, Oliver Davis. Welcome, bro.
3: What's good, man? Thanks for having me.
4: Yes, sir. But uh, we'd like to just dive right in, man. We want to know uh, what was life growing up for you like?
3: Life growing up for me, it was competitive. I come from a a pretty big family my mom has uh eight brothers and sisters combined and my dad has like eight or nine brothers and sisters as well so i had a bunch of cousins growing up so you know i was always kind of the youngest so you know you know how that is <laughs> it's it's competitive in everything you do from you know playing outside catch to racing to doing push up you know whatever the case may be so uh I felt like, you know, life growing up was it was pretty competitive, so, you know, diving into sports was pretty natural for me. Uh with mom and dad, you know, mom played basketball, dad played football, so it was kind of easy for me to dive right into sports, but I'll be honest, it was it was kind of challenging moving to Georgia because you know, originally I'm from Texas. Uh I lived in Midland, Texas until I was in the 8th grade summer or summer going into 8th grade in I was kind of hurt, bro, because I was, I grew up, I I was supposed to go to Midland League High School at the time. You know, this is one of the best high schools in the country. Like they won state my fourth, fifth and sixth grade year growing up. So I, I got to see like, you know, championship football. I got to see players like Cedric Benson, Eric Winston. So, you know, I got to see what it really looked like, the guys. So it was competitive for sure. If I could use one word, I'd say life growing up was fun. It was competitive. You know, it was, it was competitive growing up.
4: I, I like how you uh, talk about how moving to Georgia was, you know, a bit painful uh, for you. We like to ask, uh, what is a moment of pain for you that you can look back on early in your life that may have, you know, hurt you in a way or left you feeling maybe confused or wondering why things were happening the way that they did? Was that that moment of pain for you or was it something
3: else? Yeah, it was similar to that. I mean, imagine growing up, you know, born here, raised here, you know, met all your friends here. Pretty much, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. So you start getting older, you start feeling yourself approaching high school and you're getting more skilled at the sports. You're getting faster, you're getting bigger. And I I just could feel, like I told you, I was anticipating, you know, going to Midland League High School because I watched Cedric Benson win these championships. And I wanted to be that next, you know, guy to go in there and try to do the same thing. And Moving, it was kind of like whoa, like you know, this is all I know. It was it was confusing for me, for my parents. Like looking back now, it was the best move that we could have made because you know I was in the middle of nowhere, not much exposure, and then I moved to a small town, thirty minutes outside of Atlanta, with exposure everywhere. So I felt like it was a blessing in disguise for me. But you know, at the time, I'm twelve years old. All I'm thinking about is my friends. So that definitely hurt. I was kind of confused, but it was a new start here and the the type of school, the type of environment, the type of people that I was around, immediately it kind of made me feel kind of back at home because it was you know it was competitive, guys were good. Like I remember the first day going out to football practice. I I came, I was a little late. I think when I moved in, I I, I started late. They were already starting camp. Uh, started you know the little camp when you when you get practice going. And I remember asking Miss Terry was the lady that you know did the middle school. So I'm asking Miss Terry, I'm like so. We walk out, I'm watching these guys practice. I'm like, what is this, the ninth grader, JV?" And she was like, no, these are people you playing with. And I couldn't believe how big they were. Like, you got to think, like, Brian Presme was probably, at the time, probably like 5'9", probably 175, like, already yoked up, like, abs, you know, arms. And then Matt was like 6'3", <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But transitioning, moving forward, bro, I, I mean, I moved to North Cobb. They took me right in. But, you know, it was challenging, bro. Like, I'll be honest, like, in eighth grade, half the season, I was just backing up, bro. Like, I played special teams. You know what I'm saying? I come from being a guy. Like, in Texas, I was a guy. Like, growing up, people knew, like, OD, like, you could ball. Like, I was always one of the stars. And moving here and having to, like, sub in, sub out, sit behind people. Like, it was different, but it was, like, I embraced it in a way, you know, in a sense. Like, because I'm sitting behind people like Jonathan Taylor, like. You already know what type of athlete JT was, bro. He got drafted in baseball, like, out of high school. So those are the type of athletes I had to go up against. And Me coming from a competitive background, maybe that kind of made me not shy away. Because, you know, at that age, that's the age you can be like, man, I'm not playing, I'm not feeling it. I could go do something else, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to quit when you're young. But, I mean, moving forward, man, it's always been challenging for me. I think I I got this underdog mentality, like, in the way I kind of, Go about myself from that, you know. I, I, I always, in no matter the sport, I was always the smallest. You know what I'm saying? I was always the one that, unless you know me, you're not gonna pick me first on the team. You gonna, you know what I'm saying? If we, we at recess, and we, and you know, we trying to pick teams. Unless you know me, you're not gonna pick me until you see me play and you see like, whoa, like it's different. But I think I just always kept that chip on my shoulder because you know, moving forward. I had success in North Cobb, you know, as well as the people, everyone else that knows me. You know, I didn't play, I didn't start varsity until my twelfth grade year, my junior year. You know, subbed in and out. My sophomore year, I played JV. My ninth grade, I just played with ninth grade. So I don't know if you want to call me a late bloomer because I was young. I mean, I was seventeen when I went to college. I turned eighteen at Georgia Southern, but maybe it was just the way it was supposed to be. But I really had to wait my turn to show what I had, and it would it was beautiful bro because like from the jump it was i remember being frustrated having to sit behind people but just something in me bro would just keep me going like literally like i remember for instance i would be so like frustrated and wanted to play so bad like bro after the games after a friday night game i would go home and lift weights and just work out until i got tired enough to go to sleep like I remember doing that like every Friday. Every Friday, I was just like, "My time gonna come. My time gonna come." I just remember telling myself, like, you know, I, it's no way I'm putting in all this work, and I'm the this type of player, and I don't get my shot. So, you no, know, moving forward, that spring of our junior season, you know, going into the senior year, I had a successful spring. I remember catching, you know, multiple picks, and then going right into summer. I remember back then, we didn't do like it is now. Like now, it's like they do travel mm-hmm. balls, and we just did like the seven on seven camp with our school. So. We only did like a few. We did like the few like around town. And did y'all do Falcons Camp? Yeah,
4: like the National Guard.
3: Yeah, it was like it, it was. They held it at like Flowery Branch or something like that. That was our big. That was like our big test to like go against different people from like you know different parts of town. You might even get a team from like Florida there or something like that. So I remember going to that, bro. And that was like a solidifying moment. That it was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm here. Like I I'm arrived. Like I'm I'm ready for this year because. At that camp, you're going to get the, you know, the, the camp, the, the people I played against at camps like that, Cam Newton, you know, uh, Eric Berry, you know what I'm saying? Like you get the names like that at those type of camps. So, man, I, I did my thing at that and I just, I felt it. It was, a that's when I first started getting recruited because I had never been recruited or anything and the DB coach at Hampton was just happened to be there at the camp and he came up to me um, when it was all over. We ended up winning the camp, like we we went undefeated. I Wanna say we played like twenty games total, we we didn't lose a game. When we played, that was unheard of. Like the only like like our senior year, I think we signed twelve guys division one. And there were only two guys on the team that had offers before the season. You know what I'm saying? And and we ended up sending ten more. So that's the kind of like hunger that we had. Everybody was like, Man, nah, like it's it's gonna be that type of season and man, moving forward. From, you know, from game one, bro, I was just in that mode and everything just worked out. You know what I'm saying? You know how you just, you put the work, I mean, you in that you in that stage right now, your career, like, put in so much work and it's like now everybody's starting to see basically the fruits of your labor, what you've been doing. So I, I felt like I was in that boat, in that mode and, you know, fast forward, we went 10 and 0, you know, number one team in the state, region champs, came up short, but.
4: Paying some context for the people, like, I was in eighth grade, I believe, or like ninth grade, seeing this, oh, this 2008 North Cobb football team, that was like, I mean, I watched a lot of NFL films growing up of great players and seeing like, okay, like, but not knowing it was possible, but seeing that team play football, like I knew like that was like the standard of greatness. And even today, like seeing guys in the league, I'm like, man, I still don't think I've seen a linebacker better than Brian President, man. I still don't think nobody really <laughs> shutting shut, shut people down like you were. And people like Matt Rourke and just Eric Norwood, those caliber of athletes. I was like, that was the standard of greatness for me. And I was like, that made me think that I could do something. You know what I'm saying? So I really wanted to say that and acknowledge y'all for that, because that was a monumental team for the community, for everybody involved. It was just the most talented one place I ever seen in my entire life.
3: Right. And, and I think what made it so special was it's homegrown. Like right. nobody transferred in, you know, unless it was from like literally out of state. <laughs> right. Like nowadays you see the transfer here and there to, to stack the teams. It was all, it was everybody living in the Ackworth, Kennesaw area, man. Small town, just people around there just love football. And I mean, I feel like we embraced it. Everybody in the town embraced it. I remember everybody locking in. Coach Queen came coach queen came the end of our sophomore season. So going into our junior season and I just remember everybody's mindset changing, like, cause he was talking about grades and different things that we never discussed. Like we didn't even understand, like you have to have a certain GPA, you have to take this certain test to get in school. Like, so we were all really kind of behind the eight ball, but to see everybody lock in, not only on the field, but off the field. I think that's just what made that team so special. Like the level of maturity for young kids, you know, we're, 15, 16 years old, like locked in. So that was a special time in my life. So I felt like, you know, that that really stamped me. And ever since that, those times is when I made my mind up to where I am today. Like I, I told myself when I wasn't playing varsity, when my grades weren't the best, I told myself, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing to get what I want. So I made my mind up back then. Like I'm going to start doing all the reps even more if possible. You know, I'm going to start doing my schoolwork. I'm going to start doing all the stuff right and just see if it really worked. And, you know, that simple things just start clicking, clicking for me just by, you know, making better choices and, and making the right decisions. And that's kind of where I came up with the 1% to be honest, bro. And I didn't know it would kind of take off the way it did, but it's just daily discipline, bro. I, and you know this because you, it, it's your, your type of background, bro. You had to be disciplined to even be where you're at today. So just give me like the people to uh, a kind of rundown on just my life and, like, just how I am and my approach and why I'm so assertive. It's is just this reason, man. Like, I, I didn't have what I wanted. I had to grind to get it. So every moment, every accomplishment, it meant, it meant the world to me because in my mind, I wasn't even supposed to be there anyway. You know what I'm saying? So it makes me appreciate it that much more. But moving forward, man, I ended up, you know, going from nothing to having about eight or nine Division One scholarships, you know, to choose from. And I ended up signing with Georgia Southern. And that was like one of my biggest accomplishments cuz I told myself before that senior season I was like I'm going to go to division 1 like I'm going to play at a the division 1 school so I got to see real deal you know grade a football so you know those competitive days and then moving to North Cobb in another competitive community and you know just achieving something special like we did it just I feel like it all just tied in together bro like It had to, it had to be meant to be like no, nobody turned their back. Nobody wanted to, you know, try another school because, you know, nobody talks about, you, you hear about that North Cod 2018, but they don't know our freshman year. We didn't make the playoffs. It was a terrible season. Our sophomore year, we were three and seven. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like it was a traditionally, Oh, we're going to the playoffs every year type of school, but now that's what they do. And I feel like. You know, that's how you know how important being where your feet at is because you don't know who you're going to affect. Like you said, we affected you not even knowing, though. We were doing it for us, doing it for our team reasons or, you know, our specific goals, not even knowing. Lil Quay watching. Darren's watching. Darius Conaway is watching. But, you know, moving forward, I took it right to college. I was a true freshman, had a little success at Georgia Southern, transferred after my freshman year and ended up actually graduating from Carson Newman University uh, Division II school, which is another, you know, powerhouse Division II. I mean, it's never going to be a year they're not in the top 25. They win a lot of games. So this game has brought me a lot of success. You know, even somebody like me not making it to the National Football League, so many different steps that I hit that I I don't, I feel like I made it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't make it to the National Football League, but I feel like I I made it like in my eyes because my, my goal I was always realistic. I'm five eight, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm five eight. I'm not jumping out the gym. You know what I'm saying? My speed is okay. Like I was probably a good a low four or five runner. It was just like for me to get into the lead, I was I was smart enough mentally. I understood that it's kind of gonna be luck of the draw for me to get in. If I get in, get an opportunity, cool. If not, cool. So I, I prided myself on giving it everything I had, no matter what. You know, I did. And that's um, it's kind of how, you know, how I am today. And just, just that driven type of mindset that I have today, I just carry with me you know, throughout the years. I took the football and just whatever I'm doing, whether it's a nine to five or now, I mean, I'm blessed enough to be an entrepreneur now. But I, I carry the same type of vibe the whole way through from the game of football. So I love it, bro. You, you tell I love the game. Yeah. I could go all day. Right. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I definitely want to get more into, you know, what you do today, but I want to ask you uh, your level of maturity and your mindset that you pour into these guys that you work with. It it just jumps out. And I want to know, like, who was your first, like, teacher that was really, like, pouring these messages into your life from a young age growing up?
3: The first real messages that really stuck with me was probably that era when Coach Queen came, because I feel like that's when structure came. Like, we didn't have any structure. When he came, he put grades in front, like he he showed us that it means something to to open the door for your, your for girls. You know, it means something to yes ma'am, uh, no sir, things like that. So I felt like the structure came with Shane Queen and uh, Coach Livingston. Did you have Coach Livingston, or was yeah, he already yeah. gone?
4: He was the one where my tenth grade year, I was super small when I was younger and. He really was on me to get in the weight room and just start believing in myself. So I credit Coach Livingston a lot with my development as like an athlete and a player.
3: Yeah, like bro, I I, I still you know stay in contact with Coach Livingston to this day, bro. Like he mean that much to me because he he was just different, bro. He, I, he was disciplined. Like he lift, he used to always lift weights. He always ate a certain type of food. You know, he always had his protein shakes ready. And he was the first person that I that really made me start believing. Like you know, he he would he would always just you know say little things to me like you know why not you like why why not you why not you be the next guy that you know come through here and and be a difference and those are the type of like things he would put in my head and like really make me think you know you when you start hearing stuff like that it's like I mean why not me you know (laughs) because I I mean growing up you kind of think like some people are just meant to be this or meant to be that but it's not always that way some people really work their way to being that person so yeah i I say coach livingston for sure and definitely coach queen coach queen is a great leader like he's gonna rally the troops he's gonna get in do the dirty work with you you know coach queen always gonna make sure he he's he's lifting with us he's always got high energy he's always got goals involved with it with everything so i feel like that's when i got goal oriented that's when i got drip a little bit more driven than you know maybe my my natural natural drive would be so yeah i say Coach Queen, Coach Livingston definitely uh, uh, put a stamp on just, you know, my, my development.
5: And Oliver, you've done a great job of just shaping your story. It's, you're making our job easy for sure. <laughs> if we go back, I mean, we're called comeback stories. What, what would you say was your, your lowest point in life, whether it was on the field, off the field, major struggles, loss? What was that, that low point for you that was the beginning actually of the comeback?
3: I gotta say, my lowest point has to be getting my my senior year eligibility denied in college. Had to get—I mean, I love the game; like I'm literally a football junkie. So, taking the game away from me—that I, I say that that had to definitely be my lowest point. And nobody's really saw it coming. It was kind of crazy. Just to give you a rundown on exactly what happened, I played in about two games. I want to say my true freshman year at Georgia Southern and. When I transferred, you know, I spoke to the NCAA. They told me that I would have four years of eligibility when I transferred, but come to find out, when it came down to that last year, the, the compliance guy at Carson Newman came out and told the coaches and you know obviously staff, "Hey, we got a phone call." Uh, they said, "You know, Oliver Davis is ineligible for you know this upcoming year due to playing at Georgia Southern. I was like, "All right, cool. Let's appeal it. You know I'm going to keep working out with the team." as if I'm going to be here and just see where it goes. So this is during the spring. And, you know, we appealed it three different times. So over a span of about probably three months, probably from like February to May, June, we were going back and forth with the NCAA, just trying to, you know, iron things out, trying to get my year back. We even offered me to miss a game or two. if That was fine. Like actually miss the games that I played in. But one thing that I always leaned on was the work so i told myself i was like you know i've seen stories like guys going to open trials and making teams so what i did was i said you know what i'm realistic only two teams once my it was like declared i was done only two teams came to see me the buffalo bills the kansas city chiefs and all they did they got my measurements height weight wingspan hand size and they ran me in the 40 that was it they didn't they didn't give me a chance to do any ball drill type of work or Drill, uh, position specific type of work. So I knew what that was about. It was just like, all right, see a little production. Let's go down here, see what it is, take the numbers back in. If he's one of the guys that, you know, we want to bring in for camp invite or something like that, we'll do it. Never got a phone call. So, you know, I I was, it was pretty low, but I I told myself, you know, I was going to just lock in and just make every day count. That was going all around the country. I went to, I remember going to Baltimore. I remember going to Philly, Texas. Matter of fact, I remember going to, Boston, it was a, it was supposed to be like a CFL workout or something like that with, you know, a bunch of different teams, like some type of basically, you know how they do these camps. Just They say these bunch of guys are going to be there, different teams and scouts. So I go there. The actual camp ended up getting rescheduled. So I went up there. I and Granted, I'm working at UPS at the time overnight just to make enough <laughs> to be able to even make these trips. And I go there and, and nothing it was literally for nothing. So I was like, man, like, do I give up? And I went, I remember going to the next workout. I want to say it was with the team in Calgary, Canada. And their DB coach pulled me to the side and was like, bro, you really can play. Like, like, what's your situation? Like, you look like a guy that should, you know, should have got a shot. And I was just told him, like, look, this is what happened. X, Y, Z. He said, oh, got you. He said, listen, Open trials like this, we don't normally sign guys unless they're ex NFL guys or guys that we specifically know live in that town and we want them to come out. So I was like, all right, cool. I took his advice, went to two or three AFL workouts. I ended up getting signed. So, and the crazy part about me getting signed is I worked out for this team. I dominated the workout, but still, I guess they just didn't believe enough to actually give me a contract. So what happened was they invited me to a private workout, which was only Eight guys there. It was eight guys there, and the coach said he only had one contract that he was going to bring into camp. So I went there. I did my thing. He signs me. So I pull up to camp. I finally, make, you know, I finally make it to this professional level. I'm an AFL player now. So I'm, I get to camp. My first day at camp, I'm thinking it's going to be like anybody else. They pull me to the side and let me know that I'm on a two day waiver. So basically, I'm thinking I'm signed. In reality, I'm on a two-day waiver. So if I'm if I'm not good enough in two days, I got to figure out how I'm going to get back to Atlanta from Cleveland, Ohio. So, I mean, I, I just took it for what it was. I was used to pressure. I was used to my back being against the wall. So I did my thing. I, I balled out in camp. They ended up keeping me. And, uh, you know, that's how I ended up, you know, making it to the AFL. And it's crazy when I tell people that story. I'm like, man, I, I really took it there just to make it to the AFL. So, that was a low for a a super low point that luckily I leaned on that discipline. I leaned on my foundation and, you know, it got me back on my feet.
5: Well, even hearing early on eighth grade, ninth grade when you made the move and how you had to wait, right. I heard you probably gained a lot of patience, humility, Mm -hmm. but then also having that kind of that underdog mentality and that, that healthy chip on your shoulder that allowed you to be resilient and not give up and, I'm guessing that it made the transition of finally having to surrender and let go of playing the idea of playing, which for me and my story, losing my identity of a baseball player is what sent me into a long road of addiction because of the loss of the love of my life, baseball, my identity. I know you work with probably plenty of guys who struggle with the same thing. And so, but when you control the controllables and you know, you've done everything you can it's a lot easier to accept that it's time, it's time to turn the page, which I wasn't willing to do. I didn't want to feel the pain, the emotional pain of it. So I was just popping pills to numb out. So it's just cool to hear the level of acceptance, but also humility and patience and how your childhood, everything kind of shaped, well, wh- where you are today.
3: Right. Yeah, man. It's definitely a blessing in disguise. You don't really know why things happen the way they do until so you get to certain points in your life and you get to look back and kinda of evaluate and it and it starts to all make sense. But I I think I get it from my dad for sure. He you know, I watched him wake up at four AM all my life and go to work and never complain and come home, wash the cars, you know, make sure the yard was, was straight, grass was always cut. So I I I, I you know applaud my dad for sure, like for being in my life and just always being there for me and just being that that, that positive example. Absolutely, man. I want to talk about
4: how you went from playing in the AFL to now wanting to start Sweet Feet Sports Performance. What was that journey like, wanting to go from playing to finding a purpose in helping other men grow at the position and find their way?
3: Got you. So uh, moving forward, I played in the AFL for two seasons, kind of had an injury bug, just couldn't stay healthy. And I had a daughter. I had a daughter, and she was about one, maybe one or two. I knew in my mind, I was like, all right, the money that I'm getting in the AFL, it's okay. Like if I'm if I'm single and I'm just you know looking for opportunities through the game of football. But once I knew I had a child coming and you know I had a fiance at the time, that's you know currently my wife. I knew that I had a certain level of uh, responsibility. You know, I, I remember telling my dad like, Dad, uh, I need to get a job. I need to go ahead and just get serious about just my priorities. And he was like, You sure? You know, the jobs at Coca-Cola, you know, the bottom feeder jobs, the entry level jobs are tough. And I was like, Dad, I mean, I'm tough. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about a job being tough. Like, I don't feel like it gets any tougher than football. So, you know, I started working for Coca-Cola as a merchandiser. A lot of people don't know this. I worked there for two years. And I really, in my mind, I was going to work for Coca-Cola for 30, 40 years like my dad. Like, that was my goal. I was like, I'm going to work hard. I got something my dad never had. So, you know, I'm doing routes. I'm doing my route. After about a year, they gave me my own route. So the way uh, Merchandiser works is you're, you're pretty much just a relief guy for people who are on, va- who are on vacation when you don't have a, your own specific route. You always you have like two to three stores depending on size. So they went from a two-man route to giving me this route by myself to see if I could handle it. And, you know, not only did I handle it, I exceeded standards to the point where the sales were higher on this route than they had ever been. And you got to think, granted, they were already doing great numbers, but I, would, I figured out the system. So basically in that merchandising system, you're going to end up working 12-hour days, 13-hour days if you want to be lazy and get up at 6 o'clock and work throughout the day as people try and shop. So what I figured out was how, like, how could I be most effective on this route you know, and get my job done faster? So I figured it out. I went to my store managers. I asked if I could have overnight delivery instead of my delivery coming in the mornings. And they would do overnight delivery. And bro, I started going to work at like midnight, 6 a.m. i mean at midnight, 1 a.m. The start time was 6 a.m. So I'm going to work six, five, six hours early. So I figured it out, bro. I started going to work early and immediately it was noticeable. Like, and this this is all football. Like, you know how I am about football. I tapped into that mentality and just tapped into Coke with it, into Coca-Cola. And the workers at Walmart was like, bro, why you be coming to work so early? And I'm like, bro, I just got, I just want to get my stuff done. I want to be out the way. Like, I don't want to be out here all day. I worked for there for two years and we got bought out by a new company and the new company wanted to lower our pay. So basically the old Coca-Cola, if I wanted extra money, I call, when I get done with my route, I call in to the district manager and say, Hey, I'm done. Anybody need help? They would send me to help somebody. And that's how I could get, you know, over time, make it make ends meet. This new company came in like, we're going to do a daily rate. And I went to them and I was like, I have this degree. I'm really overqualified at this point. I'm at an entry level spot. It's about time for me to get promoted in my eyes. So I'm like, look, I I have this degree. These are my numbers at these stores. I have, I have portfolio. I went in there literally with everything. Like I, I used to, Darren, I used to Turn all the bottles forward. So it says Coke, Sprite, Fanta. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted them to know that I wanted I was here and I was different. And it just didn't work out, bro. Like the new company came, they gave me like a small raise, like a couple of dollars raise. I was like, you know, I can't do it. I gotta go. So boom, I go to I go to Pepsi for a promotion. Pepsi hired me as an account manager. But it was kind of the same deal with Pepsi. It was just kind of strenuous work, no purpose. This is what sparked it. I ran into my my college DB coach. Came home. He was recruiting somebody from my high school from North Carolina, and we were out to eat. And he said, "What are you doing now?" And I told him. And he was like, "That's not you, man." Like that, he was like, "That's backbreaking work." Like he said, "You know, it's probably making ends meet, but that's backbreaking work. You know, you don't love doing it. You're you're just trying to do it because you don't know any better." And I was like, "I mean, that is true." And he was like, "The defensive backs that I'm recruiting, they don't know anything. Like they don't know." What a three step read is. They don't know how to read two to one. Like they don't know the game. Like they're athletic, they can play, but I'm having to rebirth them when they get to school and they don't have time for that. Like they want guys coming in and they understand so they can pick up the scheme faster. So my college coach always beat it in my head. My dad always beat it in my head. And just this specific conversation I had with my DB coach, it made me think deeply like, this dude is right. Like, I, I love the game dearly. You know, I'd do it for free if I could. You know what I'm saying? And that was the spark. But I ended up finding another job. I, I, You know, I don't know if you know Jeremy Hill. Jeremy Hill was in logistics. And I just went to his house one day, just vibing. And I saw what he was doing. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? I see him like, he got the computer set up. He's answering phone calls. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? And he showed me, he's like, I'm a broker. I'm like, what is a broker? And he was all right. Basically, in transportation, there's people that plug the people that need the need the work and the people that have the work together. And that's how the money flows. He said, I'm just the middleman. And he started showing me what he was doing and showed me the amount of money he was making. And I said, oh, no, ain't no way. Jump right into the industry. I I found I went online, applied for a few jobs and about two or three days. I had an interview with England Logistics. I go. I get the job. So I start I start as a broker. I go in, bro. They said we only have two jobs. We only have two positions that we're looking to fill. And we have like 10 applicants. So they just let us know up front. And I was one of the only applicants that had no sales experience. Because, you know, being a broker working in sales, you're on the phone. So I had no phone like experience. I had like, you know, talking to store managers as a merchandiser, trying to sell in more like displays and stuff like that. But that's a different type of sale when you're in person and they can see you. Versus over the phone. Over the phone, if you don't have a personality, you're getting hung up immediately. So that's a whole different type of skill. But you know, I went in there, obviously, the way I am, told them my story, sold myself. They hired me. So I go in, bro. to they're, they're their, uh, the home base was in Salt Lake City, Utah. They had just built an office in Atlanta. No one's ever been promoted here. No one's ever really did any good numbers here. So that's why they're trying to fill in spots. So I go in, bro. Same approach. I'm just getting on the phone. I don't even halfway know what I'm talking about. I'm just building relationships with people. I call a certain, like my my goal was, I'm gonna call all these certain uh, cities in the South just because I know people in the South love football. That was my mindset. People in the South love football. So if I can just get somebody on the phone, a decision maker on the phone that loves football as much as I do, I'll be able to talk about football and eventually get into the cell. And bro, that's exactly what I did. I would get on the phone, I'll be quick. I'll be like, "Look, listen, man, I know you got a lot going on. I just had this thing I would do. I know you got a lot going on, man. When is a good time I can get you a call? And it's, that's already different because most people, when they get you on the phone, they're going to try to go ahead and get that sale. Like, look, bro, this is what we have going on. I would be like, look, I know you're busy. Like I would literally get on the phone, talk about Auburn versus Georgia last week or talking ball. And what I found out was sales isn't about what you're selling. It's just about personality. And people will buy who they like. They'll buy, you know, things from people who they like. And it was the same mentality, bro. I knew the more people I called, the better chance I had, I had to get a sale. So I would get in early, hit the phones hard. And I just, it was the same approach, but it, it died out. Same thing, died out because I had no purpose behind it. It was just, I'm grinding, you know, I'm doing well, I'm making good money, but I have zero purpose. Like if somebody called me tomorrow and say, hey, oh, we got a job down here for... uh, $5,000 more than what you're making. I probably would have left and didn't. You know what I'm saying? Because it was more a money thing versus a purpose thing. And I don't know what gave me the courage to do this. I said, you know what? I'm about to try it. I'm just about to try it. I'm about to go on Instagram. I'm going to make a video and tell people what what exactly it is that I'm trying to do. And I'm just going to go for it. I was willing to go broke. I was willing to move back in with my parents, all of that. And I started out just training my cousin. I was training my cousin on the side and kind of posting on the side, just little things. I would tell Misha, hey, uh, you know, we're working on some good stuff out here. Maybe you could just record like maybe two or three drills. And I'll just throw it on Instagram and see what people think. I would get clients here and there. It was, I just knew that. I was like, until I'm really in it, I'm not going to get the results or like that I want because I'm not giving it enough time. I'm I'm only I'm working for 45 hours a week. And I'm only training for maybe four hours a week. It's not adding up. I, I'm not going to be able to get out what I want. So something told me, bro. I went to my boss. I had a heart to heart with him. I said, listen, I'm burnt out. Like, can you just give me a time period to basically put me on probation to where I still will come into work? I'll still do my job, but I'm done. Like I'm, I'm burnt. I, I I let him know exactly what it is, what that was in my heart and what I wanted to do. So he was like, cool. I'll put you on a six week probation period. After those six weeks, you know, I'll try to stall for you a little longer. Once the numbers go down, it's, it's just like the NFL, bro. Like when your numbers go down, they put you on probation. After that, you don't have a job. So it was a tough time for me, but it was right around Christmas break. And I said, I know a bunch of college guys are about to come home. I'm going to just go for it. So I, I posted a few videos. And the first guy, bro, the first guy that contacted me was Kendall Vildor. <laughs> Starting corner for the Bears right now. He was a sophomore at Georgia Southern. And he wrote me and said, bro, I really like the way you coach. Like I can tell, you know, the game. Like I want, I want you to be my like private coach. And I said, fine, let's do it. And bro, literally from there, it just took off. Like it was, it was Kindle. It was, it was the names just kept going on and on and on. Cause what I did was I work as I work out, you know, record everything. And the crazy thing about, I tell people it's really levels. It's really a process to like finding your purpose because I was like, Like your guy said, I was, I was humble enough to be like, you know what? I'm going to just go get a job and I'm going to do it the right way. Like I'm going to really try to work my way up in the job rank. And it just didn't work for me. You know, some things aren't just for, they just aren't for you. You know what I'm saying? And for whatever reason, I would work these jobs, bro. And at least five days a week, I would work out. I would go to the gym. I hit the weights. I run sprints. I run miles. I'm training like I'm about to play for something because I didn't know any better. And Lo and behold, all it was doing was building that discipline for when I had to actually lead. So I'm here to tell you, like, it's still ways to win. Like, and that's my goal with what I do now. Like, I want to spread that. You don't have to be an NFL player, you know? You don't have to be these things that we feel like we have to be. But I'm just giving my best example of being disciplined and staying true. Because I feel like if half the people just were really actually disciplined and not just talked about it and stayed true to what they really want, they'd get what they want. 'Cause it's the same stories, bro. Like my story, your story, every story that we hear, the common the common thing that everybody says is they never gave up. And you know, it went from me training my cousin to, you know, my cousin and Kendall to now I have workouts is is twenty division one guys there. You know, like twenty-five guy, everybody starts at their school. So it, it started from nothing to to now to where it is now, I feel like on just those basic principles and for for the most part the purpose is what drives me like I, it drives me to It, I have like a burning drive to uplift, to put people in position like positions that I never had. Like I always wanted to have somebody that could show me the way or show me, hey, bro, this is how you play the position or this is where you should do. I never really had that person that had the experience to show me. So I've, I've been I've been doing it for three years now, and bro, the 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 things that I've accomplished just through working with kids is it's I've touched more lives, and and in three years, and I could have touched my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, bro, I I go to other states, people recognize me. I'm like, bro, this is crazy. Like, I'm thinking like I'm just a trainer, but people looking at me like, no, bro, like you showing us the way. So I felt like it, it was meant to be for me to be like in this position, and all the grind, all the the hurt all the struggle, everything I had to go through, it was molding me, you know, to be the leader I am today. And it's truly a blessing, bro, because I never saw it coming. Like, I never, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, that was never a thing, like, for me. You know, some people grow up, they're like, I want to own my own whatever. Like, I literally, I wanted to play in the NFL. I knew I loved football more than anything. And I really had no other plans, but, like, seeing the way God, like, is working in my life now, bro, is crazy. I
4: mean, with purpose, I feel like all it is is, Something that you love, that you would do for free, and then combine that with how you can serve other people in this world. And you see all the big names that you work with now, and that's amazing. And But it's all because of the process of, like you said, of you continuing to grow, you continuing to sharpen your sword and grow as a man. And that allows you to enter a room and that speaks for itself. You don't got to say anything or say something in a certain way to get somebody to believe you. Like It's known and it's stamped. And that's what's amazing to me. And I kind of want to talk about some principles that I've always seen you put on Instagram and say like daily discipline determines destiny. And then of course like the the one percent slogan. Now talk to me about what those principles mean to you and how you teach those to young guys.
3: Uh yeah, for sure. Uh so basically uh when I was in college, it was the captains of the team, it was called the leader the leadership committee at Carson Newman. And every year the head coach would be like, All right, guys, y'all get together uh before camp and we gotta come up with a theme for the season. And uh, we all put our heads together and we came up with basically daily discipline determines destiny. And we called it 4D. Like we hashtagged it 4D. And basically it was just what I live by today. Like I still I live that that's something I don't think I'll ever throw away, bro, because it's just it's too valuable. Like the things that you do every single day is going to you pretty much lead you to where you're going to be. Like if you're lazy, if you're not doing much you know, you're probably not going to get much. But if you're, if you're, if you're headed in the right direction, you know, you're dotting all your I's, you're crossing all your T's, it's going to be success behind that. It's just proven. So, uh, that's where that came from my college team. We came up with that and I still preach it to the guys today just for, because I mean, I feel like I'm a living, like a living proof of that. Like I, I had no platform. I had nobody put me on to where I'm at now. So it would be one thing if I had, you know, Stefan Gilmore or you know, Jalen Ramsey saying, Hey, y'all go train with my boy. He's legit. Like I really got it from nothing. Like one hit one person at a time. And I use the daily discipline with everybody. So every client that I got in front of, I always try and reset myself and say, I don't care if it's Jalen Ramsey, or I don't care if it's a fourth grader, I'm gonna give them my undivided attention. And I'm locked in for these, whatever, how long we out there, 60 minutes, I'm locked in. I'm gonna make every rep count. I'm going to let them know the importance of letting every rep count and letting that discipline from me spill into them. And the 1% actually came from, I was training some North Cobb kids, man, like when I first started, it was when I first kind of started and they were kind of complaining, like, why don't we have the offers that they name dropping and different schools have, you know, why, why does XYZ have this offering? I feel like I'm the same player and I don't have the offer. And I used to be like, man, let's just keep working, let's just keep working, and it got to the point where I feel like it was just like an everyday thing. Like they bringing up some new offer that some kid got, and I talked. I I stopped the workout, and I remember saying, "Bro, first of all, you guys are in tenth grade, eleventh grade. Like I wasn't even getting letters when I was you guys' ages. Like we like it was no Instagram, it was no Twitter, to where it was no huddle." where a coach can literally just go pull up your film from last night on Google. Like we had to send off CDs and burn the CDs. And it was a process to even being recruited. So I was like, how about we all just focus on today? If you think you're better than you know a person or if you think you're all American or you think you're worthy of the things that you want, honor that every single day when you come out here. So I'm not asking y'all to get 100% better today. Basically, I said, listen, if we can just get 1% better today, just 1%. So that means if you play with high pad level, play with low, play low today. If you're normally got a wide base and you can't get out your brakes, try and break every break you do today. Try to keep your feet under you, like little things, you know, like the littlest things. And I And I said, if we can just get 1% better, I feel like six months from now, a year from now, we'll have all these goals that y'all are talking about. It'll be sitting right in front of you. And that's literally where it came from. And after after that day, I just started putting one percent after every workout. I just started putting one one percent. I posted the picture, and just put one percent. And now it's like a household thing. I mean, I go places and I see it everywhere. People tagging me all online saying one percent. I think Tyra Matthew has one percent in his bio. Derwin James. So I, it's like a it's a thing that's been around for a long time. But I really I felt like I really honed in on it and really like brought it back to life and i i, I see colleges using it now <laughs> you know colleges posting their practices one percent better every day that's the goal and whether it's me or not i feel like i'm impacting the game as if like more than i would have if i played in the nfl and that and that's i feel like bigger than anything because i'm 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 ai am affecting people in a positive way you know i'm i'm challenging coaches to be better coaches because i coach so hard i'm challenging you know those vet guys that that don't want to be in shape to be in shape because there's no reason that a 31 year old like myself should be in better shape than somebody that's under contract. It's just no reason. So I feel like that 1% applying it to me and also giving back and applying it to the people that I work with, it's become contagious. And I've even had people reach out and say, Hey man, I have nothing to do with football, but I started applying that 1%, you know, to my work, to my job. And I'm starting to see results. Like I'm moving up, I'm getting promoted and that's the ultimate blessing because, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Nipsey Hussle and he said in, in one of his raps that the, the 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 highest form of human act is to inspire and to be able to inspire people to, to be great. I feel like that's I don't know what's better. I, I That's better than catching a pick six for sure. Because, <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's deeper than a game. Like we talking about people's lives like, you know, so. Yeah, man, that's, that's where the two uh, different slogans came up with right there. I came up with it from that those situations.
5: I love that 1% better every single day. I think uh, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, talks about how if you get 1% better every day for a year, you'll end up 37, 36% better or 37% better of a person at the end of the year. But if you got 1% worse every day for a year, you end up at rock bottom. And it's just the the power of compound interest. Where mm-hmm. like Darren and I come from the world of recovery where one day at a time we're just stacking days. Stack a day, stack another day, one day at a time, all of a sudden you have a year of sobriety, you got a couple of years, and now you've got this unshakable foundation. So I love I love everything that you stand for. What would you say to to somebody out there maybe listening who who's struggling right now? Maybe they know the biggest thing holding them back, but they don't know what to do about it about it. What would you tell them?
3: somebody that's maybe struggling out there. I would say it's never too late to get yourself in order to get yourself, uh, straightened back out. Like people that didn't get their success until fifties, you know, thirties, forties, fifties. So, you know, don't think that you got to be 25 or 30 and have a family and have a, a, a house that you own to be considered a success. Like every, every person has their own journey, their own life and their own, you know, success stories and their own way of handling things. But what I would say is never, never get too low. You know, always be aware of where you're at and always know that you can always get out of where you're at. Like if you're at the lowest of your low, all you got to do is just make up your mind and just start viewing everything in a different way. Don't dwell on the negative, always focus on the positive. And I know that's kind of cliche to say, but if you change the way you look at situations, your life will certain, you know, slowly start to change. And, That that's what I did. I mean, I'm just telling you from a realistic point of view, not something I read in a book. You know, not something I heard, you know, or saw on YouTube. Like my life, I I started from nothing. You know, I I literally started from zero dollars. I actually had to go buy some footballs. I didn't even have any footballs to train with. All I had was cones and a ladder from when I used to play. So I literally started from nothing, and you know, I've worked my way to, you know training guys like Jalen Ramsey, uh, Kenny Moore, you know, Xavier Howard, you know, JC Horn. I've had first round picks the last two years. I've had all Americans every year that I've done this and being able to like use my story. Like that's one of the big things why I live the way I live is to let someone know out there, like you can literally do what you want. I went from just a regular guy to a Nick Saban knows me. Dabo Sweeney knows me pretty much. Any major school in, in in college football, I've spoken to their coaches. I've helped recruits get full rides, different things like that. From no status, you know, I didn't play in the NFL. It was no back, you know, background connection. It was all just me, you know, changing the way I thought and actually taking action each and every day. Like you have to be optimistic, think positive, go after what you want, write things down. That's another thing that I feel like it's a good thing to do. If you really want something, if you have a vision, just go ahead and write it down on paper. So you actually know, I took that out of my head. I put it on paper, I can read it. So, you know, if I had something to tell, you know, someone out there that may be at their lowest, it's just, it's never too late. And the success story is everywhere. It starts with you. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else probably will either. So don't think that it's going to take 10,000 people to believe in you for you to finally get on your feet. Like you have to be the first person to set that foundation and set the standard and believe in yourself and change in your mentality. But that's what I would definitely give a message to.
4: It's all all about perspective. Back when, uh, you know, Carson Newman said that you wouldn't be able to play that season, you know, you could have responded to it in a way where you said, life's pretty much over, you know, I'm just fold up now. But ever since then, no matter where you were, no matter what your situation looked like, you continue to press on and now to see where you at today is admirable, man. And Before we wrap up, I, we love to give love to the people that's been on a journey with us. Uh, people that's been through the lows, been through the highs and supported us the whole way. So if you had a comeback story, shout out that you would give to one person or a few people, who would those people be?
3: Oh, my wife for sure. Yeah. Carmisha Davis, for sure. She, uh, I mean, you know, Darren, we've been together since, you know, off and on since middle school. So <laughs> it's been a long journey, but that's one person for sure that, uh, that I know never doubted me, always believed in, in me and always always could see that big picture. And, you know, I'm definitely thankful for her, for sure. Absolutely, man. We, we
4: appreciate you being here today, man. I just acknowledge you for how you pour into the lives of these young men every single day from seventh graders to professional athletes, man. And You know, really being invested in their development uh, as men and as players. So I really appreciate you being here and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man.
3: For sure, and before we get off, man, I want to give a shout out, man, just because it's it's so current. Christopher Smith, bro, that's a that's a comeback story. He, bro, he stayed down. Did you watch the game last night, the Clemson game? The the score, the final score was ten three, and that was the only touchdown of the game. And that's somebody that literally is is the definition of resilience, the definition of staying down, because he's been this his fourth year at Georgia and it's first time starting. So. That took a different level of heart. That took a different level of drive. And the talks me and him had just throughout the process, I got to really give him, you know, my perspective on my journey. And, you know, maybe it it, it helped out, maybe it didn't. But I know we had a bunch of long talks about just staying down and your time is going to come. And basically his first start in his career, he catches the, the biggest probably pick if he's ever caught in his life. Hey, that that's staying down right there, man Four years later, you catch a pick Versus number three team in the country To seal it, and man That's a shout out Chris Smith For sure, but that's all I got Appreciate you, man,
4: well yeah, we go ahead And uh, wrap this thing up, man, thank you for the wisdom Thank you for the knowledge, and uh, catch y'all Next week
3: This is what I represent
4: I'm Staying true till I'm six down It might take a little bit okay. But every king's gonna get crowned